let's do some intros then. So first of all, my name's Robert Gillespie and I head up marketing here at Solutions Driven. I'm joined by Claire Murray, um, who is our head of content over at Solutions Driven as well. And we have a special guest today. We have Janet Onya, who is the program manager at Accenture. Welcome to you both. How are you both? Doing well, thank you. How are you? Not bad at all, not bad at all. Yeah, doing well too. Thanks for asking, Rob. Great to have you here, Clay. And how's lockdown affected you, Janet? It's been interesting. Um, a combination of homeschooling, working, starting new businesses, like I wasn't already busy enough, and actually also just enjoying some of the downtime. So, yeah, it's been mixed, but I'm grateful. And I'm sure you won't mind me mentioning, but you've actually had a wee accident the other day there with your ankle. <laughs> There's that too, trying to keep fit and everything else. And before you know it, I'm in the cast and crutches. So there are a lot of jokes going around now about me and my one leg situation. <laughs> oh dear. And how you get you feeling better though, hopefully. I am indeed. Thank you. Good, good, good. Okay, so today we're gonna to be kind of got diving into a topic which I think we can all agree is pretty much front and centre. And yes, we're a recruitment company, so it's kind of front and centre in our world as well. But we wanted to have a topic or a conversation around diversity and inclusion, mainly in the tech workplace today. Um, and almost we wanted to look at how organizations can do inclusion better, but also why companies should be doing this and actually the benefits that come with it. So I think it will be a good conversation. And I know we've had a wee chat beforehand. So as I said, I'm looking forward to diving into the topic a wee bit uh, more. But Janet, just before we kind of get started, then it'd be great to know more just a wee bit about you your background, your journey and your career so far to, that led you to where you are at Accenture just now? Okay, um, lovely. Thanks, Rob. So as Bob's explained, I'm Janet. I'm currently in program management in Accenture for financial services, like um, companies around platform transformation programs and migration, mainly in terms of the journey that I've taken to get to where I am currently, I actually grew up in Newcastle in South Shields in the northeast of England. Um, and I love the northeast. I also love Scotland and I've been here for more than 10 years now. But I guess the reason why I'm choosing to share that is because the experiences that I have had from like my youth right through to now have shaped me and have also helped my, I guess, thinking as to why I'm so passionate about, you know, what I am now, be that diversity and inclusion and technology and leadership and various things like that. So, you know, growing up in Newcastle in the 90s as one of very few Black families, if probably not one of the only ones, and having to navigate that scene and then right through as well has really shaped me and has been both positive and also negatively impacting. So, yeah. What led you to Scotland? Um, it wasn't the weather. <laughs> I bet it wasn't. Although, uh, although you can't say the northeast is much better than Scotland. <laughs> That's exactly it, Rob. Genuinely, I wanted to move away from home, but I still wanted somewhere that felt like home. And genuinely, I felt like Geordies and, you know, Scotland and Scottish people are very similar and have similar scapes, have similar dialect, everything. So, yeah. Oh, good. Well, look. The first question I'm going to ask is almost, <clears throat> I think it's just to give us a bit more context around what we're going to be talking about anyway, but, and it's also a personal one, I would imagine, and you've just touched on a little bit of it anyway. Was, But for anyone who's listening or watching, because we'll have this on video as well, is just be good to get a kind of an app background or an overview of, you said shaped you, but in terms of what is your, I use the word mission, I know that's maybe not the right word, but what is your kind of mission right now in terms of, whether it is diversity or inclusion in the workplace or inclusion in tech, is it to raise awareness? Um, what do you want to see happen in the next three, five, ten years? Just kind of almost like that goal dream. What do you want to see happen over the over the coming years? Yeah. So one of the main things that drives me to advocate for inclusion and diversity in the workplace and specifically in technology actually is my daughter and her not having certain experiences that I've been through. So as an example of that, one of the very first roles I landed when I got out of university, one of my fellow graduates, jokingly, banterfully, um, which is what it's described as these days, you know, shared the fact that I only got onto the graduate scheme very competitively because 
I was a diversity hire. So you can imagine someone like me who'd worked incredibly hard to get into what I felt was a prestigious role, being told that I'm not there on merit, but actually because I need to tick some boxes. And I was like, never do I want my daughter or anybody like her, be that because they're black or because they have neurodiversity or just anything ever have such a statement said to them, even as casual throwaway jokes. So that's one of the main things like that I'd like to see coming out of the work that I do, just that people are more sensitive to mm-hmm. other people's experiences. And again, you know, they're not having to have throwaway comments made to them. That's one of the main things. And then the second thing in technology, people might have heard this a lot before, but we are literally building our world like with technology we are building our world in all like spheres in all shapes and all forms therefore if the people who are building our world there aren't enough women engineers as part of that there aren't enough black people on the team to be able to say this machine learning algorithm has only been fed lots and lots of pictures of a certain kind of person so it's going to be very biased from the start we aren't building the right world so the real and second main area I want to cover in this is just the fact that in order for us to actually move forward together and properly, everyone needs to be at the table and contributing as well effectively. Love it. Love it. Um, how old is your daughter? Um, she is three, going on about teenager, <laughs> which I think a lot of them are, but yeah. And in all fairness, I must say, she's already a bit of a firecracker, so I think if somebody said that to her, she'd give them very stern words, but unfortunately, I wasn't quite brave. <laughs> and just actually, just to go back, because you mentioned about the graduate scheme where someone gave you that kind of feedback. I mean, does that, I mean, I can imagine that would sting, maybe is not the right word, but I would yeah. imagine that's, st- and even now, if you were looking to change job just say you were looking does that kind of thing play in your mind or do you think god am i just going to fit a bucket to fit to meet someone else's goals for example is that something that you still think about it's still the fact that i'm still talking about it nearly eight years or so on you know onwards definitely does play on my mind however i'd like to think that over the last few years i've grown in confidence in my own abilities and I've put a really strong team and board of directors around me to keep encouraging me and you know giving me the recognition or giving me the development that I need and everything else to actually help me realize that no I can and I will do this and if you think I'm here for a reason other than because I'm really good at this job then that's your problem and not mine so yeah no brilliant so We first connected probably three or four weeks ago, I think, um, through kind of running with my colleagues um, at Solutions mm-hmm. Driven. Um, and we were initially chatting, I suppose, before we came on air, but almost initially chatting about an article. I'm just going to make sure I get it right. So it was a Fast Company article. Um, the tight, It was a research, it was a survey done actually by Accenture in, in conjunction with Girls Who Code, who we'll talk about later on, um, some research. And the title kind of jumped out at me, as I said to you at the time, it was called Half of Women Who Work in Tech Do This Surprising Thing by Age of 35. A classic marketing headline there to kind of lure you in. <laughs> what is this surprising thing? But there was a few interesting stats in there, which, again, we're going to cover just in a second here. But as I said, half of women in the, in the tech industry leave by the age of 35. It's traced in part to an inclusivity problem, but thir- and 37% of females actually gave it as the primary reason for leaving. And it didn't give the numbers, or I don't think it did, but it actually just says it gets a lot worse for women of colour, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender. Now, on the flip side of that, an article raised another point, which kind of goes back to what the stats we just said, but it said HR workers or human resource workers, workers polled are 45% more likely to say it's easy for women to thrive in tech, but actually compared to only 20% of women who actually are working day-to-day in that field. So a bit of a disparity there, as you can imagine, on those numbers. Now, clearly you're at Accenture, but I'm not sure if you're involved in that article, but what do you think of that article, its data, its findings, and the kind of message it's trying to say? When 
I came across that article initially. It was shared to me by one of my colleagues who had actually worked on it. I was shocked. I shouldn't have been shocked because I was already, I am deep in this world. So I was already aware of some of the issues and problems and outcomes, but I was still shocked. And again, making it really personal, I was like, by, you know, this, I probably technically really only got around six years left in tech if things don't actually improve before I become one of those statistics of, you know, a woman in tech leaving Mm -hmm. their role. And again, when we look at the issue we're trying to solve in terms of getting more women in tech and keeping more women in tech, it's something of a dichotomy because we get women in tech, they leave by 35 or half of them leave by 35 because the environment isn't conducive to them being able to thrive and then we say that there aren't enough women in tech so we try really hard to get more in and the cycle continues so that's one of the sides of things and then as you mentioned the clear disconnect between the people who are hiring and supposed to be trying to keep um, women in tech and their roles and improve on the, inclu- the inclusion side of things, as well as the women that are actually in the role, on the ground, doing the work and maybe experiencing some of the behaviours that are leading them to pull, you know, only at 20% saying that they can actually thrive compared to the other side of what the um, HR professionals think. So I think one of the things in there really is about ensuring that when people in organizations and it's not just an HR thing right because now diversity and inclusion is about each and every single one of us in our companies and our roles regardless of that we're HR or not it's about the people who are in these positions to ensure that um, inclusion that diversity that organizations and people being able to thrive and do well are also aware and truly cognizant of what's going on on the ground type of thing because it's that that's only when you're going to be able to know if and when you do have a problem so again one of the reasons why I love that article is because it gave us the data and once you have data you can like you can change the world right because you know what you're targeting and what the problem is and indeed if there is a problem that you didn't know you had in the first place yeah I mean why so the number of the, I'll just check the number. So it's 45% in HR, more likely to say it's easy for women versus 21%. You, I think you answered that question anyway, but it's almost, why do you think there's is such a disconnect? Is it fear of the HR team finding out who's who's saying the, who's not saying nice things about the company or something? I'm just, we all know every company's probably got some kind of internal surveys around staff employment or staff happiness or employment scores yeah. and so on and so forth but i'm just i'm curious why do you think because i mean that's a it's almost double the number but it's more than double the number i'm just curious where do you think that's coming from or why there's such a big disconnect yeah my personal view is that either the people who work in HR or others who have this view that it is easier and or like really it, it's very possible for women to thrive in the workplace and tech environment specifically My personal view is that they've seen that there are a number of initiatives being run to advance women's careers and women's careers in tech and trying to, you know, targets being set for leadership and just money and other things being plowed into really trying to solve this problem. So I think from literally a purely simple perspective, you know, these HR and other people are looking and saying on paper, everything is set up to help you rise and rise quickly and to get responsibility and lead so I do believe that that's going to be the case and that's how I'm going to you know market whereby we know that there's a very clear again difference between putting down putting things down on paper and implementing them and them also being a success and I think that might be where that imbalance might be. Janet, do we have any um, figures on how many men leave tech by the age of 25 and 35 and what the difference between the genders are? I actually don't and I haven't come across any data like that and I'm not sure if it's because we're not collecting that data but one thing that I do have information on is around ageism in tech and specifically about slightly more mature I don't want to call them older but more mature men leaving tech in their 
like mid 40s and upwards just because it's increasingly seen as becoming something that's more of a millennial thing a young thing and there's that that imbalance there again but I don't have any and I'm I'm not aware of any stats um yeah for men leaving tech but I can't imagine it would be all that high Mm -hmm. and it was a great answer the one before as well about I was nodding my head. I actually hadn't, because I, when I asked the question about why there was such a big disconnect, I wasn't. I actually wasn't sure what the answer was going to be. But actually, when you when you were reading all the answers back, I was kind of nodding my head and going, as you said, they can put all these initiatives in, but they're not probably really digging into the micro details to see what's actually going on at the ground level. So yeah, I can imagine that. I suppose then going back to the beginning slightly, then in terms about <clears throat> attracting more diverse candidates into the workplace. <clears throat> Claire wrote a great blog on our website uh, three or four weeks ago around almost employers. We call them, I don't know if it's traditional candidate value propositions or employee employer value propositions. What do you, th- what do you think employers should be doing, I suppose then to attract a better kind of diverse candidate workplace or workforce, sorry. Yeah, no worries. So um, it's probably very simple and has been said several times but it's about diversifying where you are advertising so if you are always advertising with for example a certain recruitment agency and the recruitment agency you know candidates you get always seem to be of the same type and you even maybe make the request and say I'm looking for more of this can you get this for me and they come back and say I can't find any then you've got to look at that and say, is this the right recruitment agency for me to be working with on this if they can't find me the diverse pool of people that are out there? Because genuinely, one of the um, difficulties that a lot of companies have faced and have said is that we really, really do want to recruit more diverse candidates. We just can't find them. We don't know where they are. Like, And I've heard this so many times and I'm literally just like, as far as I'm aware, they're on the same job boards that your job adverts are being, um, you know, shared on. If it's not a specific recruitment, like, you know, there isn't a specific place that more diverse candidates will go to. Sometimes there is. So, for example, if I bring up neurodiversity, for example, and there'll be a mark that, you know, some um, organizations know and have for, we know that these particular companies are great when it comes to recruiting more neurodiverse candidates and also even adapting their interview and application process to suit the individual needs as they actually know they need to or they can do. So, you know, actually taking the time to look for some of these job boards. So again, there have always been, but increasingly this year, there are more organizations, businesses, social enterprises that are making specific platforms for advertising jobs to specific people. So you might have women in IT job boards, for example, you might have um, job boards that are specifically trying to attract black candidates, for example, and just various things like that. So going a little wider away from the general pond that I guess you'd swim in is one of the main things that I'd say um, organizations can do to attract more diverse candidates. And not just that, and this might also be a bit controversial, but you've also actually got to look and consider the environment that you're in. So I know of an organization in Edinburgh who over the summer recruited for a number of different roles. They shared that they got over a hundred applications and as far as they could deduce, not a single one of them was from a black candidate. Now, if of course they are recruiting for a certain specific role and they're recruiting within Edinburgh or Glasgow or even Scotland where the black population isn't all that high, then yes, it would be a bit more difficult for them to try and find black candidates to apply for those roles. So. You know, I think percentage wise, it might be um, less than 1% of the whole Scottish, um, Scottish, Scotland, um, what's the word I'm looking for, population, yeah, less than 1% um, identify as being black. So again, I do understand that if you're a company and you do want to attract more black talent, it might not be as easy for you to do so in 
if you're in Paisley or somewhere else like that, that's still not an excuse though, right? So there's this year, those two sides of the coin. And what, what about, I mean, you mentioned, I mean, I don't know who the company is, I'm sure we're not going to name them, but I suppose what, what are Accenture doing on that, in that space then? What do you think they're doing? Maybe not right, because maybe they're on a journey to get to the, we're always on a journey, I'm sure, but what, what do you think they're doing well just now or could do better? Yeah. So um, one thing that I've actually been impressed with is that they have been running targeted schemes. And ideally, these schemes would have been from many years ago. I'm not sure how, when it started, but it's still happening now. So that's something. And these targeted schemes are where they've looked at the problems within inclusion and diversity. And they have said, OK, we are actively going to run like internship programs, insight day programs for these particular groups of people. One of those groups of people are black young people at you know GCSE and A level. Another one of those groups of people are young white boys from working class backgrounds because again the statistics show that white boys from a working class background have the worst or least attainment when it comes to education and that's to do with the um social impact and social um from being a from i think it's called a lower socioeconomic status that kind of thing so they've gathered the data they've looked at it and said these are the areas that we need to target and build that pipeline for our organization going forward so in five ten years time i'm pretty sure it's going to be great but i love and wish it would have started maybe slightly earlier so there is that building the pipeline um, if it's already not present in your organization there's also for me which i've mentioned a few times now actually just looking at the data and seeing from our organization's perspective you know where can we do better and let's target that and you know we don't have to do everything all at once you can just say we're going to do women or we're going to do people from black and ethnic minority backgrounds or we're going to do people with disabilities but pick one do it well and then continue is there anything i mean from a recruitment point of view so our me solutions driven being a, a recruiter who works with a number of different companies and I'd like, and I think we are doing a great job of it. But is there anything other companies should be doing, or companies large sh- should be doing again to make sure our recruitment process is dive- is kind of evolving as well, and making sure we're doing the right things as well? One thing that I really love that you guys do, which I think is also becoming more increasingly common in the industry, is around blind name applications or submissions to. Um, the originating client for roles when you're doing CVs and you know there are so many anecdotal and like you know there are so many stories out there of people saying they had a certain name on their CV they applied several times for a job didn't get anything they applied to the same company for the same job with a different name and all of a sudden like they're there so I think one of the more anonymized entries of CVs to clients is one thing that I think is quite key and then again We'll probably come back to this later, but it's also around the unconscious bias side of things, right? So if you are, you know, speaking to a a candidate, for example, who doesn't necessarily have the smoothest accent, but you know that they could do good work, you might think, "Mm, I'm not sure if I want to put this person to my client. They might communicate really well and they might be understanding, but you know, they don't, they don't speak the Queen's English in that accent. And from the look and feel that my organization is going for, it's not right. And this is normally some of the like top tier blue chip organizations as well. I'll just go straight in there and say in the legal sector who have an image to try and uphold and different things like that. So, yeah. So I'm going to jump back to the Fast Company article saying, because we, we were talking there just about, I suppose, attracting talent or the right talent or diverse talent. In that same survey we spoke about earlier on there, it was talking about different ways of retaining talent or diverse talent as well. Um, and it was talking about young women in tech over the next decade. And it was, I'll just list a few of them first. Um, so they gave ideas around in terms of retaining talent was supporting potential, supporting parental leave policies, setting diversity goals, create women only support. So I wasn't actually hundred percent sure. Maybe you can answer that, what that actually was. Um, Reward creativity and innovation, and in promoting inclusive networking. 
I suppose the question is, is that enough or is there anything that you think it won't, is there anything else they should be doing? Now, I'm not really quite sure how to quantify this, but for me, it's about giving women, it's about giving people, it's about giving black people the independence and autonomy and trusting them as well. Now, if I go into more detail in there, I at Accenture have been able to thrive both in my client work, I'd like to think they um, agree with me there, but also in trying to build up the Scotland community for my colleagues to actually feel as if they are part of a small close organization and not this big one that has 500,000 colleagues. And in that, like the majority of that has literally just been the leadership team saying, Janet, you want to do these things, off you go and do them with our blessing, like take care, come and ask us for help when you need to, and then so like, and that's it. And that has genuinely that that independence and autonomy to be able to make decisions and do all these kinds of things has really benefited and impacted me so much. And I've also been able to give that back out to the community and to my clients, like at a greater level. So there are a number of things in there that say things like, you know women only um, support groups I think you um, mentioned and again we can come to that in more detail later on and you know trying to have various inclusive events and things like that but we've been doing these things for many years and the needle is moving but I feel like it's moving really slowly so really for me that there's, there's more that can and should be done and one of them is around that autonomy and independence to be able to lead and learn and go from that. And I've now got confidence to be able to go up to a number of our really senior leadership teams and say to them, this is what's going on on the ground. Can you help sort it out? And because they want to make it better, they're like, oh, yeah, go for it. But had I not been given that free will and impetus to begin with, I might not be so readily um, you know, able to go and say to them, listen, here's what's going on without fear of my own position in the company. I'm going to, so going back to the stat, remember I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times, the 45% HR workers versus the 21 actually working in tech. I'm assuming those are the, that list I gave in terms of things to help going forward over the next decade. <clears throat> I'm guessing, though, they came from the workers, the actual workers on the ground. I'm guessing because it's because the survey identified, I'm reading the word survey identified several ways to help keep young women in tech next decade. But again, I suppose where I'm where I think I don't know if it's a challenge or a struggle is almost so if they were the initiatives coming from the, the workers actually in tech, are the HR workers who need to implement these things actually even in listening because they're almost they're thinking everything's easy, it's fine, and it's almost, is there almost going to be a roadblock or a bit of challenge to try and get, whether it's these initiatives or the ones that you touched on yourselves in terms of actually to get them implemented, what do you think? I would say so, yes. I would say that there might be some roadblocks, and again, as we've said, the disconnect between the two sides. So again, if I do come to um, one of the areas that we spoke about being around women only support groups or I'm not sure the exact wording that you use there but there's the argument that if you close that circle you then don't allow necessarily the women who could benefit from the male leadership and learning from that and sponsorship and everything to to be able to grow and thrive in that manner. So whilst I definitely believe there is a place for, you know, women-specific groups, as long as there are strong male allies tied to it. Now, one of the reasons why I say that is because I, myself, I think I only have one female, maybe two, out of about six, as I mentioned earlier, board of directors around me. And it's because I know that the people who are in positions of power right now who can actually help to further the women in technology and inclusion agenda themselves are male. And the, trying to find more female senior leaders in technology in the organization is becoming increasingly more difficult. And not just that, because there aren't lots of them right now 
everybody is trying to get to them and that can also impact them in ways that aren't good. So I definitely do agree that there is a disconnect between both sides um, happening. And that's why, whilst I have no background in HR or anything whatsoever, and, you know, I I don't see diversity and inclusion as being something that HR should always lead on, because then we're going to have things that they're trying to put in place for us that they think we want and us vice versa with them, and they'll just, yeah, not get anywhere. Do you have anything to add to that, Claire? Sorry for a move on. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you you know, you're talking there about your your male um, kind of bosses and managers. They are the ones who you're turning to at the moment. So in your opinion, what is it that makes a good inclusive leader and, and how are your employers currently pushing diversity? Um, that's a great question. Thanks for that, Claire. One of the main things for me is around emotional intelligence and you know, it's not just a buzzword. I fully believe in emotional intelligence being like, so if I just go into this in a bit more detail, emotional intelligence is about empathy, right? And not about sympathy. And one of the great things actually that I was appearing um, with Stephen Ingledew from Fintech Scotland last week on um, another talk and when he was speaking, Stephen, who is one of the examples that, you know, of the male leaders that he discussed, came out and he shared that the reason why he's actually so passionate about furthering women's careers in the workplace and specifically in technology and fintech is through his own experiences from his mother and watching the um, the difficulties that she faced whilst in the workplace and different things like that and him not loving that at all and not wanting it to happen to other people and you know from my perspective although I was already aware of that hearing that and seeing that being broadcast to the people that were listening I was like that right there is what an inclusive emotionally intelligent leader is you mustn't always have like need to have personal experience of something for it to touch you in order to be able to advocate for it but even the fact that you are strong and willing enough to share some of these things and let people know exactly the reason why that's one of the main things really so for me the way I see people leaders becoming more inclusive in their practices is around them being cognizant to what is going on in the world outside of the profit and loss and the hiring and everything else that's going around it's about the people side of things like the personal side of things yeah. Okay. Now the empathy, empathy, I think, is huge. It's a huge thing. Um. So that's, <laughs> I suppose the the big question then we've talked about <clears throat> almost how to attract talent and retain women in tech talent. But <clears throat> we mentioned at the beginning. What's what's the benefit to an organisation then from from doing that? I mean, is it profitability, productivity, or something else? What's what's your views on that? Yeah. So um, I'll just start with the hard hitting. It's straight. Like, I'll go with money. Just like to start with, it's profit. Several studies from McKinsey to EY to KPMG, and I shouldn't be saying all of our competitors here, but nonetheless, <laughs> several studies have actually come out and they've studied and they have said that when you have a more inclusive leadership team, your profit increased by. 25% some of them have said. One of the latest ones I'm aware of was actually, again, research um, done by Accenture towards the end of last year that said that when you have, so for example, in fact, what they actually said was that innovation obviously drives profitability. And they said that if every nation in the world increased their innovation by just 10%, that would add $8 trillion to the global like economy. Uh-huh. And one of the main things that have come out of these reports and everything that I'm sharing mm-hmm. is the fact that when people feel more included in their workplace and they're happy at work, they are more productive. It's been proven that productivity also drives innovation. 
So just going about it in a really roundabout way, Rob, what I'm trying to say is that when you have a more inclusive organization, you drive productivity. When productivity is driven, innovation increases. And when innovation increases, bottom line shoots up. And that's one of the main things there. In addition to that, if we just look at it as well from the perspective of, like, so for example, at Accenture, not long ago before everything happened um, in the world, I hosted an event and I was hosting it from a personal perspective in that it was actually meant to be a women in technology event and it was team building, knowledge sharing, that kind of thing. It was being hosted in the evening. I wanted to attend, but my husband wasn't around at the time. So it would have actually meant I would have been hosting an event that I couldn't go to myself. So I had to stay at home and look after the kids because we didn't have anyone else. From that, I was like, actually, what's stopping us from having a safe environment for parents to bring their children to this event so that if childcare is a barrier for them not being able to attend this event in the evening, like it was going to be for me, it's not going to be a problem quickly checking it with one or two other people to make sure that like, you know, admin and insurance, all that kind of stuff wasn't going to be a problem. We hosted that event. People brought their kids, including mine, and it was a great success. And even so now people are still talking about it. And there's some of the really small things that you can do to, and it didn't cost us anymore mm. to have children there. And it was a great atmosphere. And actually I was like, people are going to spend more time with their kids and in the work environment. And already we're starting to talk to these kids about the work we do and technology and meeting our colleagues and different things like that. So again, that's another one of the ways that um, companies can benefit from it. If you have happier colleagues who feel more included, they'll do better work for you. They'll get more money. And from another side of things, it's the right thing to do. Like it's the human thing to do. And so if you're not going to be, you know, convinced by doing the right thing, let the profits talk for you. Were they, were they virtual events, sorry, or were they physical events? Oh, no. So that was a physical event. <clears throat> it was a pizza-making event, actually, um, where <clears throat> we all got together and were making pizzas and learning how to make pizzas and um, chatting and having a good time. So, yeah, it was um, a physical event, which I hope we can get to start doing again really soon. So it was just, again really selfishly for me, something that I was facing that I was like, actually, rather than just staying silent, why don't I see if this would benefit other people? And great, it did. So sometimes being selfish might not be so selfish after all. As you said, there's probably so many other people in the same position as you. Um, so you're bang on. Um, so slight tangent slightly, but do you think companies are doing enough though? We've talked about attracting the talent and maybe even retaining talent, but actually do you think they're doing enough to promote internally diverse candidates or whether it's females, black females, underrepresented minorities? Is that, do you think organisations are doing enough? I might know the answer to that one. Or again, whether that's when people are going out to recruit for new people, as I said, are they doing enough internally to make sure that talent is available internally? Just any thoughts on that? It's, yeah, um Whilst I can't, I won't speak for all organizations, Rob, the ones that I know of from my own personal experience, as well as from friends and family, the short answer is no. And it's a hard one because when it comes to things like promotions in organizations, the quality of your work is only part of it. And another big part of it is your network or how well you're known, or what your personal brand is like, and different things like that. Mm. Therefore, you know, you might already be aware some of the reasons why women have traditionally been kept out of the boardrooms, for example, is because they, there weren't as many of them on the golf courses, or in the clubhouses, or the people who are being promoted are more pally with the, you know, people who are going outside to the smoking sheds, or different things like that. And that is no shade on anyone at all, by the way. But what I'm trying to say is, People promote people they like, right? And they, and both in terms of promoting them in the role as well as sponsoring them and different things like that. People who feel familiar to them. So it is definitely a challenge for, for Black people, for underrepresented people, be that women or people with disabilities or different things like that, to actually utilize those networks. Because again, one of the reasons that black people that women that others feel like they're not as included in workplaces is because 
lots of times their networks within the organization aren't as strong as others are. And it's not for lack of them trying, but it's just networks are built. That's how it happens. And before you know it, somebody's leapfrogging you. So in the, the short answer to all the long stuff I'm saying, Rob, is that companies can and definitely should be doing more. It should definitely be more based on the quality of your work rather than who is shouting the loudest for you in the room. And again, one of the reasons for um, one of the things that can be improved in that area is around sponsorship. So um, I know that within Accenture, one of the things that we're trying to do now is assign sponsors, senior leaders in the organization to underrepresented people in the firm in order to make sure that when there are rooms that these people are sitting in, they're actively advocating for their sponsor or for the sponsee even. No, great. Because I was going to, I was going to say it must be hard as well. Because, as you said, even if you're recruiting new talent, the initiatives around masking people's names or gender or whatever can help internally. Clearly, people know who people are, but there must be there must be lots of different challenges. But as you said, I think some of the initiatives you mentioned are the right things you should be doing. Um, have you gotten that clear before we move on? No. Nope. Somebody's just beating the alarm in the building. Um, <laughs> So we spoke earlier about what, what motivates you or what's motivating you at the moment, obviously yourself, your daughter, etc. A kind of funny question almost is, why are Accenture almost so keen to support you as well? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you're one of three black people in Scotland out of 400, I think. I can't remember, I remember you telling me the number in the UK, but I can't remember, but one out, yeah, and I believe you're the only female black employee in Accenture out of 400. So what's so? I, I get your motivation and why you're doing it. You're from a personal perspective. If I if I if I read those numbers out normally, you most people I would imagine would be a wee bit shocked. But so what do you think? I mean, without being controversial, then what's in it for Accenture for you to be here today and on all your other events, etc., talking about this? So, um, again, it's the, the imaging of the company is massive. And this isn't just from a false place as well, because if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be calling their name around everywhere else like that. So in terms of the imaging, the brand, the good PR and the profitability as well, let's not forget, is a big thing. And not just that, but... You know, before I got to Accenture, I was applying for jobs and there are several podcasts I listen to. And one of the more prominent voices in promoting um, the underrepresentation and advocating for the underrepresentation of black people in technology specifically, you know, shared several times about her experience at working at one of the top companies that I was actually also considering applying for. And I was like, actually, I'm I don't really want to apply for, you know, having this company on my CV would be amazing. But actually, you know, I no thank you to the recruiter that would potentially like to bring me into that organization because, you know, hearing about that experience and it wasn't even like a super awful experience, but I was just still like, no, and that put me off. So there are companies that are going to be missing out on, you know, talent and other things like that because the word of mouth is going out that this is what their organization can be like. So, you know, this benefit for Accenture is that they're, they're going to be known in the market as being somebody who actually cares about their employees, is trying to do better, because I won't say that it's perfect whatsoever. And yeah, that's one of the main things. But again, going back to one of the things I said right at the beginning, I actually don't think anybody in Accenture Scotland ever intended me to, you know, or even thought I'd be out here having any of these talks for the last couple of years about technology or leadership or inclusion, but being given that independence, that autonomy to grow and to thrive and to explore things that I was interested in and actively share them with the leadership team on a regular basis, just you know, next thing you know, they're promoting me further. They're taking my work and sharing it with others. I shared that out here speaking with Stephen Engledew last week, and that was through a connection that was made by our Scotland leader to um, Jane Morrison-Ross at Scotland Days and different things like that to be like, this is the girl you're looking for, because apparently she talks a bit of sense. 
to know about that. But yeah, so all I'm trying to say is the benefits for organizations, if they get it right, are huge. Great. Janet, Question, we... I suppose a general question. Oh, sorry, you go clear. No, it's okay. I was just going to ask about, um, you speak really highly of Accenture and how they promote diversity, but the figures, when you, as Rob said, when you look at them on paper, aren't amazing. And we spoke earlier on about setting down diversity and inclusion goals. So without using numbers to do that, how do companies ensure that they are, how do they measure their success in inclusion and diversity? Yeah, no, um, you're absolutely right, Claire. And I guess from my perspective, whilst I know I'm one of very few Black people in the Scotland office in Accenture, I don't feel it. I'm not made to feel it. Like, you know, I don't feel isolated. And that's partially my own doing in the moves I'm making and the people I'm connecting with. But it's also partially that the environment that's being created for me. So even for me, even if you're an organization of a thousand and you only have one black person, if the environment for that person to thrive is there, that is much better than you being an organization with, you know, 50% more black people having a 50-50 balance or whatever, yet the place is just not right and your retention is really bad. So for me, regardless what number of people you have, and even if you don't have any yet, it's also about making sure that when, as and when you do have certain different underrepresented people in, that the environment is right for them to thrive. Now, I know that in the rest of the UK, Accenture's figures are much stronger, where they have a much wider pool of diverse candidates to recruit from. And one of the main things that we're working on is actually on the retention side of things as well, which is key. So for organizations, yes, you look at your stats, how can you do better if it's more difficult for you to increase the numbers you have, ensuring that the environment is right for however many you have is what is really important for me. Yeah, great. Okay. I was going to ask a few more, <clears throat> a few more general questions, and I'm conscious of your time as well. But with more and more people working from home or remotely working from home, um, in this new world, as we all talk about. Um, so there's less people in the office. Do you think that'll have any impact on, I suppose, the recruitment of women in tech and retention of women in tech, things we already spoke about? I think it's, it's a mixture of both good and bad here for me, Rob. So when, as I said earlier, when it comes to things like promotions and advancing people in the workplace, a lot of it is done through the network that you have and the conversations that you have in and around the workplace, not necessarily at your desk, but more in the kitchen areas or at even recruitment events and networking events and stuff like that. And that's what sometimes helps people get ahead. We don't necessarily have that anymore, right? We now have something that you can see as being more equal and more parity whereby no one is really like going to virtual kitchens and having a chat to make their tea and therefore deepening those relationships that they have to help them advance. So from that perspective, it can be seen as being good. However, on the other side of things, I feel as if it's not as good because it's probably harder for you, not even probably, it definitely is harder for you to be seen and to be heard by the people that you would like or need to so again, if you are somebody who wanted to increase your own network and brand and everything else like that, you could go to an event, you'd see the speaker or some of your own senior leaders, and you'd have a quick chat with them and say hello and different things like that. These kinds of events aren't really going on anymore. And if they are going on, it's more of a on Zoom, we're all chatting, and then it finishes, there are some comments in the um, chat box and you don't have that mingling afterwards to talk and one-on-one -on -one conversations and things like that. So again, from that perspective, it is more difficult for you to try and make more of a name for yourself and gather some of these connections. So yeah, good and bad. I was going to say, I can imagine it must be a challenge 
or you can imagine yourself if you were just joining the organization now and it was all all the interviews were done over remote you've never even met your fellow colleagues and so on and so forth so i can imagine it must be if i was looking at the negative side of it, it must be a very very hard right now um so a couple more questions and then i'll let you go um i wanted to talk about the black lives matter movement and everything that's happened this year so think we can all agree yes it's been around for years but it kind of really came to the fore kind of this year I suppose with the I mean tragic death of George Floyd um and something I've mentioned to you before but something that really hit home for me was a white male friend of mine who lives in uh, Boston he put something social along the lines of and I'll hopefully get it right but the point will be the same he said, the only thing that he has, I have to worry about when he leave the house in the morning was the colour of my hoodie, whereas black people have to worry about the colour of their skin. And when he said that to me, yes, I pay attention to it and you focus on it and you like to think as a, an adult you're paying attention to it. But I think when he said that to me, I almost put myself in his shoes and, and I realised, and I'm someone wears hoodies all the time. And I thought, you know what, he's just it really, really hit home with me. Um how do you think the Black Lives Matter movement this year has impacted, or even just the publicity it's received as well, has helped with even your message, whether it's a surface level or just it's helped a lot? But how do you think it's helped with in terms of awareness of your message? It has definitely helped from a personal perspective and maybe even like globally, there are stands shifting, albeit some of those stands are shifting slowly and they're also shifting some of them quite non-virtuously. But again, we can come to that later. When I talk about the incident um, from the graduate program way back when, over the last however many years, every so often I've just dropped it in conversation. And the people I've shared it with, who have all, well, majority of them I think have been white, have always just, you know, also said, oh, yeah, that was just a joke, or, like, you know, don't be sensitive, or, yeah, well, haha, like, that's the funny kind of thing to say, it gets said all the time to people all the time, etc. However, I'm pretty sure if I went back and said it again to them for the very first time right now, their reaction would be very different, mm -hmm. because they are now aware, and they know more, and it's not a case of, or, yeah, but like they didn't mean it in a malicious way. Regardless, it was still said, right? And it could be having an impact. So I think in that regard, it's really helped and companies and individuals have stopped and taken a look at themselves, at their practices. And I've actually said, you know, there are things we didn't know either because we didn't want to know or we didn't realize we needed to know, which we now need to actually do better on. And there are also some who are obviously just virtual signaling, virtue signaling because it's, what to do you know at this particular time so I think it definitely has helped in terms of awareness but I'm actually quite keen to see how long it lasts and whether there are any lasting changes made I know in organizations like mine and a few others I've heard of they're accelerating the pace of change specifically for black heritage people in their organizations and don't get me wrong, they've come up for some stick with it as well because people also don't like the fact that they feel like they are being discriminated against now in order to further one group of people. So it's definitely a sensitive area. But again, for example, with you know what you shared, I never would have actually turned up on a call or to work with my hair like this, right? Because it's genuinely usually seen as being unkept unruly that kind of thing like that's what it has been and over the last probably year and a half or so again as I mentioned earlier I'm just gaining more confidence in who I am and I'm going to do what if me rather than conforming to what society says I need to do in order to get ahead I've been able to come out of that more but this year it's just increased massively and I'm really grateful for that and while the circumstances are not right and should never ever ever be the case we are where we are and yeah let's just see how well it can continue really and really lastly another thing that I love is whilst a lot of companies are focusing on what they can do 
to stop certain injustices in the workplace that they didn't even think existed against Black people. They're also looking more widely at inclusion and diversity in general to some of the other areas of the protected characteristics that they might have previously ignored. So it's also had that benefit and it's definitely helped in terms of raising awareness and getting the message out there to people and people are finally believing what you're saying and seeing that change needs to happen. Great. And it was <clears throat> slight tangent, but there was something on the news the other week when the elect I think it was when the election results in America had been been announced and there was people on the, the streets and Sky News and everything were all interviewing people on the streets and so on and so forth and and they were referring to they were calling it Black Lives Matter Plaza. And I was and I just thought at first, oh that's maybe where it just got this new name all of a sudden because it was where all the peaceful protests were in Washington and so on. But then there was an aerial shot maybe ten minutes later and it was amazing. It had this whole road and it had all the yellow writing. It literally did say Black Lives Matter Plaza all down the road, just literally outside um, the White House. I thought it was amazing because I thought they were just referring to it as just a, a place, but actually yeah. it has all been renamed and everything. I thought, I thought it was amazing. Um, speaking of politicians, I suppose Washington, actually, ironically, um, I'm sure you know there's a, now a black female vice president <laughs> in America, I'm sure, we, um, called Kamala Harris or Kamala Harris. So she's the first woman. I'm just reading this now, first black person. It's the first person of South Asian descent as well to become the vice president of the United States. And I was also reading the same article, we've got the first female general manager in Major League Baseball in the States, which, again, both of them are amazing. I mean, as a black female, how does that make you feel? I can't even put it into words, Rob. And, like, genuinely, when I think about the intersectionality of both of these examples that you've given about, you know, the challenges they face and have already faced by being a woman. And then we add to the fact that they are also black and have other Asian heritage as well. And for example, in sport, which can sometimes also be seen as something of a patriarchy, I'm just seeing barriers just literally being flung left, right and center. And, you know, but it's also taken a lot of a lot, a lot of hard work. Now, genuinely, I actually never, as optimistic as I sometimes am, expected to see, I'd never expected to see a black woman in the White House in the next even 20 or 30 years. Like I just never yeah. had expected to see it. And she's there and I'm just like, she's there. And you know, it's not just that, but over the last few years, politicians especially, but also in other fields who are women, who are also younger than those who are in their 70s, I won't name any names, um, they've also really started, if not probably are being more, um, they're being more promoted. And if I take New Zealand, for example, and even more so Finland, that has a 34 or 35 year old prime minister who is a woman and, you know, four or five people in her cabinet are also women and they're under the age of 35 or something. Now, whilst it's not a, you know, do amazing things when you're young and that's the only way you're going to be an amazing person, there are lots of these examples that can just roll off the tongue over the last five years or so, and it's getting better. So seeing a black woman in the White House, I'm actually just like, I can go to the moon. And that's not even a joke. Like, <laughs> if I was to pass that, right? you know? So... Just that, it, it genuinely, like, it's it's such a boost and it, I really hope that it continues to be. And again, one of the reasons I've shared with you, Rob, like, contrary to popular belief, I don't love being out there because the quieter life is, I believe, a better life. However, I've seen what these women are achieving and I'm trying to go to the moon. So I'm literally also like, if my daughter or even a few other young girls, black girls, girls who have a diverse have um, the disability whatever see me talking about all this stuff and they're like oh I'd like to do some of what she does at some point in the future I would actually be over the moon the same moon that I'm going to I would just be over it so that's again <laughs> part of that cycle of 
I've seen what people are doing and I think it's great. And I realize somebody needs to see at different levels, not just when they get to the top. Well said, well said. Because um, I was going to mention even the female president or the Prime Minister in New Zealand who's had a lot of publicity for doing such a great job during... Her name completely escapes me. That's the one. <laughs> Terrible of me not to even do my research, but I was just thinking on the thought on the spot there. Um, but she, I mean, she's come out of... I mean, she's done a great job. I, mean, I can't remember if she got re-elected. I'm sure her numbers were through the roof as well in terms of her... Yeah popularity which was amazing um even just really quickly on that one her breastfeeding in parliament on video and me being like oh my goodness like so you know seeing these people doing these things for women for underrepresented groups it's actually just really amazing and talking about what accent you are getting out of you know me being here or you know even supporting more inclusion and diversity I'm pretty sure New Zealand's tourism statistics and even just their rating in the world has shot up massively due to people being aware of the impact she has as well as just them knowing that New Zealand seems to be a great um, country to live in so that's just an example and she probably didn't even set out to do that so yeah couldn't agree more um, just lastly, actually, and it's probably rewinding back quite a bit, but is there anything you can tell us about Girls Who Code then? Because I know they were part of the article. I think they're, I might be wrong, are they a spin-off? I mean, a group from Accenture or are they completely independent? Just Is it worth talking about that for a minute? Oh, yeah, definitely. So Girls Who Code are an independent group of us and they're all about furthering the coding skills of young girls to encourage more girls into actual programming careers. Because again, historically, computer science and programming and engineering has been more dominated by boys and men. So they have a specific mission to run various coding classes and initiatives for girls to get them interested in coding and building things from a very young age and then continuing the pipeline on from there. So, you know, as part of the research that they did with us, it was them just continuing to say that as part of building this pipeline from a very early stage and getting these young girls to the same, if not similar footing as boys that they'll be starting their computer science degrees and everything else with, that number of 35 um, of 50% of women at the age of 35 leaving tech will be massively decreased. So, because again, one of the reasons why people are leaving are probably because there isn't enough of them to form some kind of solid group of support and everything else like that. So they're just like, I'm going to go somewhere else where, you know, I can feel more comfortable. But if the numbers are increased, then you don't have that. So that's um, that's what this group really helps to do and it does an amazing job and they also have the best ambassadors who are female senior leaders in a range of 50 100 and 250 companies also actively putting their work in there it's funny because i've got a seven-year-old girl i've got two girls uh, one boy but two girls and um the seven-year-old's fascinated with this game roblox and it's clearly not coding but she's building all these amazing wee worlds and things like that and she gets £10 a month from me just to go and buy all these wee accessories and she's building all these fancy houses and stuff like that and they've started talking about coding in class at her age and she's absolutely fascinated with all she keeps she keeps asking me the why questions or the what how do they do that why how can they how do how do they make money in this game or how and it's just fascinating to see that when she learns about coding and people are building these world and you go in and build, buy your accessories, they make money and so on and so forth. So no, she, she's one, one for girls who code, I can, I can assure you. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. And um, again, it's different things like, pardon me, this organization creating little world for girls to code in so for example I'm not sure what it was like traditionally because I never did it but my son also does some coding and on the site he uses which is code.org they have built and allowed the children to build different worlds and complete different challenges through coding but they have a minecraft version they have a barbie version they literally have like a brass version and lots of different ones so that 
because they probably have a balanced team or an inclusive team, they know that if we're going to build these things and we generally want to attract girls, let's have something that is more traditionally female. Now, these days, those boundaries are like changing, right? And it's not just necessarily that girls just want to build a Barbie world. However, by putting these things in place, and by having the right colors and even the right interesting things, you do bring them in that way. And Roblox is a great foundation mm-hmm. as well, Rob. So, yeah. That's great. Before I wrap up, Claire, is there anything else you want to ask at all? Um, so I have one last question. Yes. Um, you, you are not one of the leaders in your company. You're not one of the management team. Um, but clearly you are quite inspirational in in what you do um, for promoting inclusion and promoting diversity. How would you, what advice would you give for other people who are not in leadership positions, who are just normal employees at their organisations? What advice would you give them for helping promoting inclusion and diversity? Um, It would very simply, Claire B, take the initiative, like do something. Find the particular area that you want to make change in and make it happen. And whilst I don't want anybody to leave their job, if you're trying to do this and make the change and you're getting barrier after barrier, I'm not sure that that's the kind of place that I would want to be in. One of the main things I believe in is around like us people having the ability to affect change, like to actually be the change. And again, a lot of what I've been able to do is purely because one day I very scarily got up and approached somebody and said, I would maybe kind of like to do this and if I can have your blessing, okay, great, I'm off. And since then it's just skyrocketed. So it's not about waiting for HR to make that change for you. It's not about waiting for your director, for example, to be able to free up some budget for you to be able to actually effect that change. For me, it's very simply start and try and do something about it. And just, you know, the benefit you would get from that, aside from actually leaving some kind of unreal lasting impact, is that it will also help further your own career in maybe ways that you didn't think you would. Because within Accenture now, both in Scotland as well as in the rest of the UK, I'm glad to say, and I have worked hard for it, but my network among the leadership team is really strong. And that's just from some of the work that I've been doing and some of the feedback that they've been sharing amongst each other and different things like that. And that was an unintended consequence of mine. I literally just started out as being, I want to do something. I can't really see it being done like right now where I am. So let me just go for it and here I am now so yeah do something <laughs> great well look I'll just second what Claire just said I mean it was to me a variance it wasn't just insightful but I say it was very inspirational see even I love hearing people's stories or journeys or why's they're behind doing what they're doing as well so <clears throat> and I'm and as I said I'm when I say learned a lot I'm still learning as, as a lot of people are but really powerful Please to share it, share the message here. Hopefully, a lot of people will get to see it. Um, before you go, is there anywhere if somebody wants to connect with you or learn more about you? Anywhere best to send them? LinkedIn would probably be um, the best place, really. So it's Janet Onya, or the their name is at JD Onya. But um, thank you so much, Rob and Claire, for having me here. It's been great chatting to you. And again, I'm learning myself. I'm in no way, shape, or form an expert so if you have learned one or two things from me and I'm not an expert it also means that whoever's listening to this can also be this thank you very much Luke I can assure you I did learn a lot so thank you for your time thanks Claire been a pleasure have a good one everyone thanks all bye-bye bye-bye